0: time in James chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. So you can get your Bibles out, your app, whatever it is. It is going to be up on the screen. My brother's there, hopefully be able to uh, keep up. Um, I'll tell you this, that we, God had put a particular word on my heart and I've been, you know, working through it over this past week. And when Kimberly and I came here yesterday afternoon to set up the table back there with the the coffee stuff, Pastor Linda was here, we were chit-chatting and dang it, You know, after talking with her and then getting in the car to drive off to where we were staying overnight, I was sensing, oh, I think I need to change the message. This stinks. I don't like having to do this the last minute. And my wife leans over to me. She says, honey, I think you're supposed to change the message. I'm like, dang it. And my wife confirmed it. Spirit confirmed it. Linda influenced it. No coffee for you, sister. So I basically had to pull an audible, just kind of like switch this thing Late yesterday afternoon, so we're just going to trust God is going to do what He does because it's His church, His word, and I'm a mess. So um, that's where He works the best, right? In our messiness. So this is what's so cool about the book of James. Okay, first of all, it was, it was actually considered to be the first written book of the New Testament. Okay, so although in your Bible, that's not the order you see it, but it's considered to be the first written book, somewhere around before the year 49. And another, one of the things I love about the book of James. And nobody else can claim this. It was written by the half-brother of Jesus, Amen. whose name happened to be James. You know? And so we get this incredible perspective from the half-brother of Jesus, who was there at the launch of the church, before the launch of the church, raised next to Jesus. That could give you an inferiority complex right there. Right? But then also one of the key leaders in the church. So all of God's word carries some authority. But I've got to think, man, this is, some, this is a special bit right here. And and James, you're going to see that he comes right at the church. I mean, it's like a sucker punch. It's a love punch. But he's coming right at the church, and he's challenging the church to basically walk in the way that honors Christ in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution. It was a difficult brutal time as much of the beginning of the church was at that time as, as a matter of fact James in, in, in verse 1 calls it the people of the dispersion they were they were they were they were dispersed they were they were running because the persecution was so heavy so we have to understand that this church this, this book was written to a persecuted church now that poses a challenge for you and I because we're living in 2021 like, we're not being persecuted here in America, the church. Now, some of you right now just going, uh-huh, COVID. No, that's not persecution. That's called inconvenience, okay? We couldn't gather. You may not have liked it. Maybe you pressed into your civil liberties a little bit, whatever. That was not persecution, okay? Text Pastor Steve when you get your head lopped off, okay, that's persecution. You go around the world right now, people are getting tortured. Their families are being drug away from them. Their businesses are being taken from them. As they were back then, that's persecution. So what do we do with that? How do we contextualize that today? I've got to believe that God in his sovereignty knew that we'd be sitting in this church in Amarillo County in 2021 reading this. So what are we what do we do with it? Well, the reality is there are trials happening. Each one of you is facing something in your life right now. Some of them are brutal. There's sickness, there's disease, there's mental illness, there's poverty, there's Whatever it might be, and I'm not talking about your car breaking down, okay? That, again, is inconvenience. So it's a bummer. But some of you are dealing with some really, really hard stuff. So we're going to use that as our context, because that's what we've got. Now, some of you, praise God, are going through a season to mountaintop season. Enjoy it, because guess what? Trouble's coming. I'm not, not claiming that. That's just reality. We live in a broken world. It's coming. So we've got to be equipped for that. So that's my hope today. Um, One of the things I noticed as as going through this book is how James is challenging the the believer into a deeper, more authentic walk with Jesus. He's saying, look, this is what a transformed life looks like. If the Holy Spirit is living in you, this is how you ought to respond to trials and to difficulties when you want to cave in to the world. Back then, the tendency is going to be, man, Rome is glitzy. I'm going back to that. I don't want to be a Christian anymore because everything's been taken from my life. I'm getting beaten. My life is miserable. Can you imagine how easy it would be to cave in to your old comforts back then? This is what he is addressing. He's saying, I love you, but don't fool yourselves into thinking with a worldly mindset and worldly responses to the challenges that you are dealing with. So let me read uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 8 here for you. I'll follow along if you'd like. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom here? Come on, put your hands up. Okay, I was going to call you liars. All right. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. Wisdom will be given. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Father, Lord Jesus, these are your words. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way today with us, with, with the guy sharing your word. that your, <laughs> your word would go through this imperfect being, but it would be presented perfectly like our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So, in in these first verses, James makes it clear that one of the marks of a true Christian, listen closely, one of the marks of a true Christian is that they suffer well. My thoughts exactly. Welcome to church. like You suffer well. It's one of the marks of a true follower of Christ. Simply put, to suffer well means that in the midst of struggle, we move toward Jesus and believing in Jesus and not toward the world. Okay? In the midst of struggle, we move toward Jesus and not toward the world. So my hope and prayer for us today, folks, is that God in his mercy, Lord, in your mercy, Help us view trials as a means to seeing and experiencing you, Jesus, as our greatest treasure. That's, that's my prayer today. So let's go right to verse 2, 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As I studied this more and more, what I realized was that he's calling us to joy, joy, not because we're in the midst of trials. But he's saying these trials bring about something. They bring about this testing of a faith which produces steadfastness. And out of that steadfastness, we've become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that joy comes from becoming perfect, complete, lacking in in nothing while we're being steadfast in the midst of trials. He's not saying, man, you guys are getting your your, your family beat up. Be joyful about that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying as you remain steadfast by the power of the Holy Spirit through your trials, something is going to happen. God is going to do a work in you and what, the, what that is, is you're going to become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is what that is. It's growing in Christian maturity. Going through trials. We grow in Christian maturity. So what happens is we, we, we learn to know in the depths of our heart that Jesus is our everything. That's a capital E, Everything. We're going to unpack that a little bit more later. But that's what perfect, complete, lacking, and nothing is. It's like, Jesus, you are my treasure, and I get it now. James makes it clear that trials are foundational in getting us to this place of being perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. They are foundational in our transformation and our maturing of Christ followers, as Christ followers. And frankly, I'd rather take the mountaintop experience. Lord, can I just mature on the top of Carson Pass there fly fishing? No, I'm going to put you in the desert. <laughs> or I'm going to allow you to be in a desert. And you're going to meet me there. And I'm going to do an incredible work in you. And then eventually through you for my glory and for your good. So how does this work? I just kind of came up with three points. I know it's pretty Baptist, okay, but there's three points here for you, all right? <laughs> I gotta stop here real quick, okay? This is a commercial. I might have to do this a few times. This is me, I'm squirrel. When God got me 30 years ago, um I was saved into a, a four-square church community in over in Santa Cruz. And I was there for five, six years, got baptized there. Dr. Uh, Daniel Brown, some of you might know of him, was, was my pastor, just incredible man of God. He was pastored by Jack Hayford. And just God was just, man, he blessed me being in that. So this feels like ah, it's just like coming home. So Commercial. Alrighty, righty. Um, that was one of probably three or four, but I'll keep them short. Okay, so how does this process work? First, trials test and purify our faith. Second, these trials produce steadfastness in you and I. And third, steadfastness moves us toward Christian maturity. I'm going to unpack these. And this Christian maturity is a deeper knowing. I'm going to keep going back to that. A deeper knowing. Not thinking, not like I hope so, but knowing that Jesus is our everything. All right? So first one, trials test or purify our faith by forging in us a deeper reliance on God. There's a famous quote by the great theologian A.W. Tozer. Some of you may have heard of him, some of you may not, but he says this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Okay, I'll go home now. (laughs) That's tough, but you know, that's true. Now, he's not saying that God is, because God, we we don't live under God's wrath, right? We're under God's grace. But God does allow, as uh, Pastor Linda and us were talking about yesterday, allow things to come into our lives that will shape us and form us if we step into that. We're going to cover that a little bit today. So Tozer is not saying that God is inflicting pain on us to teach us a lesson. But of course, there are times of discipline. But most of the pain in your life, most of the pain in my life comes from one of two things, your folly and my folly or just the fallen state of the world one of those we could do a little more about than the other but when the bottom falls out of life when you and i are at the end of ourselves that is when we meet god in profound ways and personally i've found this to be true more often than not you and i don't fervently seek the face of god until life goes sideways true and here's the reality. We can get by on our own skills. We can get by on our own intellect. We can get by on our once a week you know, earth, uh, church attendance. We can get by, you know, Steve can get by on his good looks. You know? But the rest of us, we're messed up on that. But he, he's, he's got that one, right? So, it, But when the bottom falls out, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. And I think the dilemma we face, folks, is we want the blessings of god to be perfect to be complete to be lacking in nothing to have this maturity we all want this but we don't want the painful process of getting there i i certainly don't i mean who signs up for that the hard reality is our deepest communion time with god is in the midst of deep times of sorrow we so often hear, hear well meaning people say, Well, God won't give you more than you can handle. And I remember saying that a long time ago. God took me out to the woodshed and took care of that one. But um, it's a nice thought, but it's antithetical to God's teaching. We read actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 through 9, says this This is Paul speaking and writing a letter out, and the church again is being persecuted. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly. Burden beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. That's Lord Jesus, take me home. Let's go right now. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. Amen? So travel's travels, I, mean, I want to go on vacation apparently, trials have this way of magnifying our need for the presence and the power of Jesus. And that is a good thing. We just don't like the process, but it drives us into a deeper place with him. So some of what I'm sharing today um, has come out of a of what God's been teaching Kimberly and I uh, during uh, the season that we're in, um, I'm just going to kind of share some personal stuff with you guys, and I hope that God uses it to minister to you. Uh, but it's very much in this context of trials. At the beginning of, of the year, I, I had burnout through Christmas. I mean, uh, church stuff in, in, in San Jose was God did some crazy amazing stuff, but everybody had to up their game, right? And I came out of Christmas, and my eyes were crossed. I was tuckered out and I, and I wasn't sleeping like three or four hours a night for like two months. I'm like, man, I, I, need a, I need a little break. Even my pastor brother I work with, he says, hey, dude, take you off the pulpit for, for like six or seven weeks, rest up a little bit, just do your other stuff. And I took a, a five day retreat up here to Jackson, up in actually in Pioneer, and just spent some time with some friends in a little loft, did some fly fishing, some hiking, praying, journaling. I felt physically exhausted still when i came home because you don't get over lack of sleep that quickly but i was um, i was spiritually refreshed god had ministered to me and i came back my my physical tank was still empty that was on a friday then on on monday night we get a call from kimberly's mom who lives in vallejo we're in sunnyvale so it's an hour and a half away and she's just out of out of her mind panicked she's freaked out and she's we kind of saw a few little clues of this earlier she loves the lord she was hearing voices, bad ones, and hallucinating, and she was panicked. She was just, and, and to hear her on the other side of the phone was like, oh. And I know I, I shared this story, and this is hard to share because I know even for my wife, for me to regurgitate the story here, it, it's hard for her in her spirit. But we know that God has been using this, and he's healing us through this process. But she ended up, um, her mom said, please come pick me up. This is like 930 at night. So Kimberly drives out to Vallejo, picks mom up, brings her back to our house at midnight. You know, I'm laying there in bed. I'm so tired I can't sleep, knowing what's going to go on. And all heck broke loose. We set mom up in the room next to us. We're in a little house there. And um, it was hard hearing mom go at it with the voices all night long, pounding on our door. Are you guys okay? Yeah, mom, we fine. Oh, they told me you were outside. Just... It was just absolutely just horrific and heartbreaking. And we're like, 2.30 in the morning, Kimberly leans over to me and says, we can't do this. And like, mom's a flight risk. She wants to run. She's been 5150'd and just, it, so we, pros- we went through this process. And finally, mom admitted herself to, to emergency the next week. She wouldn't do it. She refused to go. But she had a hallucination that was strong enough that made her think there was something wrong with her. So she admitted herself to emergency, and Kimberly drove out to Vallejo to meet mom in an emergency, and she hasn't been home since. Her mom has not been back to her house since. And this was the first week of February. We've cried more than we've cried in our entire lives. Frightening. The system is a mess for people with mental illness. She's in her third facility, and so many times she's been to emergency like ten times for nothing physical. It's just all up in the mind. It's. No power of attorney. I mean, everything that's sideways in this could, is sideways. Like, Lord, what? This, this, is a, this is your child, Lord. What are you doing? What? Heal her. i been praying, fasting. It's like, what? I don't know. And I don't know. We don't know. It's this constant letting go. Okay, Lord, we've we got to be steadfast in seeking your face, fast, steadfast in protecting our marriage, praying for protection because it gets tense. You know, we haven't thrown any dishes at each other, but you know, but it's man, it's just been brutal. So that's kind of the season we're in right now. So I'm not just preaching at you; we're living through this, and we don't know what God's going to do. He's shaping us. We're persevering by the power of the Spirit, and He's bringing people around us. And I had a pastor friend of mine up here ask me, "Mark, what are you learning in this?" I'm like, "Dude, are you freaking kidding me? I don't know what I'm learning." I'm learning this life sucks right now is what I'm learning. Can I say that? Sorry. Um, Okay. okay. That's right. You're the pastor. Um, So I, I said, no, you know what I'm learning? I'm learning we are loved. God is loving us through the church, even through neighbors who don't know him yet. It's just been amazing to see the outpouring of love and support while we're going through this. We know that mom is love. So that's kind of where we're at here. And one of the things that it m- made me think of too, similar to the Tozer quote, is it, up at Stanford uh, in Palo Alto, Stanford University, the Memorial Cathedral there. If you haven't been there, it's absolutely gorgeous. There's a huge block, stone block that is like their version of the pulpit up there. And, and across the front of it, there's these words etched into stone. It is by suffering that God has most nearly approached man. Wow. It is by suffering... That God has most nearly approached man, and it is by suffering that man draws most nearly to God. Dang it! <laughs> I'm hearing it again, and again, and again. But it's, what I'm learning now is it's in the sacred place of suffering with God carrying you and I that our faith in him is tested and purified. It is a sacred place, and I don't prefer it, but it is a sacred place. So first, trials test and purify our faith. Second, trials produce steadfastness in you and I. Look at verses 3 and 4 in uh, James chapter 1. For you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So, what does being steadfastness in trials look like? I think I think the key is one little word. It's this word let. Let. That's not just like it sprinkles upon you. God's not going to sprinkle steadfast dust upon you. There's let. It means that means you, Mark, have got to be involved in what God is doing. You have to let. Doesn't mean like, "Hey Lord, I'm letting you." No, okay, come on. Step up, dude. You know, there's something that God's calling me to do in the midst of the trials, and our sister and I were talking about this yesterday with Kimberly. Let steadfastness, it means as we struggle through hardship, through the trials, we seek the wisdom of God and not the ways of the world, amen? That's what letting steadfast do its work is. We seek God, we seek his wisdom, we seek his counsel, we seek the community of Christ around us. We let steadfast do its work by faithfully walking in And seeking the ways of Jesus. You with me? Right? James calls this asking for wisdom. You've got a part in it. You've got a part in it. Jesus is going to do the work. But you've got a part in it. Holy Spirit's going to do the work. But you've got a part in it. Look what it says in verse 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom. Again, that would be all of us. Let him ask God who gives Generously without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person may not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, let's just stop here for a second. When you first read this, you think, well, Man, I stink because I doubt a lot. Anybody else here doubt? Come on, be honest. Okay, you're in church. i constantly doubting. My best messed up mind. I doubt. But you see through Scripture, thank God you see examples in Scripture where people were doubting. And, and, Lord, give me more faith, Lord. Give me the faith. Help me. Bestow faith upon me. This is not saying you can't doubt. But what it's saying is this double-minded, unstable person, this is the best picture i come up with. Everybody, anybody try to stand in a canoe? Yeah, you remember those days, <laughs> right? Try to stand in a canoe. It doesn't go so well, right? Well, what if you have two canoes side by side? You're getting smart. I'm standing too. No, that's not going to work so well either, right? Going to, we're gonna stop there. It's not gonna be pretty, right? It's unstable. And what this is, if you have one foot in, I love Jesus, and one foot in, and I love the world, and I'm seeking wisdom here and here and here, I'm unstable in all my ways, and I'm not gonna hear God because, I, first of all, I'm not being obedient to what He's already told me, but I'm not seeking Him fervently. How many of us have sat here in church, Lord, I want a word? Give me a word, give me a revelation. Dude, do what he's already told you to do in the first place, and you're probably going to hear a lot more from him. Was that too hard? Okay, we're all guilty of this, but this is what he's saying. Unstable is when you have one foot in the world, one foot in the scriptures, which is really almost no feet in the scriptures. It's going to go sideways. So being steadfast means seeking the wisdom of God and not the ways of the world. And these trials, they lead us to desperately seek God's wisdom. And that moves us towards transformation. And we we start gaining this eternal perspective through, in and through our hardship. And and one of the ways to seek God's wisdom is this. I I love this one little verse out of Galatians 5.16. Listen to this. You guys have heard this a bunch of times. But I say... Paul's saying this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Another you know, word of ways of saying that, you, you won't be doing things and seeking the ways of the world. Walk in the Word. And it, what it means here is this, keep in step with the Spirit. It says walk by the Spirit. It means keep in step. It means moment by moment, going through whatever, but in this context, trials. Lord, how, oh, Lord, how do, I, how do I do this right? What do I do right now? I'm making this phone call to the facility to see how mom's doing. What, what, what do I do, Lord? Lord, I am at wits' end right now, and I feel like I, I'm going to lash out at my wife and say something unkind. What do I do? The Holy Spirit's not going to say, be a jerk. <laughs> What's the Spirit of God going to say? Mark, humble yourself before me and before your wife. And if you were a jerk, humble yourself and go apologize. That's walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, asking for God's wisdom moment by moment by moment. And that's what it is, over and over and over again, keeping in step with the Spirit, asking for God's wisdom. It's real practical. Thank you, Lord. And one of the hardest things that you and I contend with, folks, is, is the voices in this world that are going to point you inward to try to help yourself. How's that gotten you so far? How's that going? Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of manure back there from that in my life. It's going to point you towards worldly wisdom, towards self-actualization. You could be you could be a better you, right? Lord, if I if I could just understand my situation more, it's going to be better. See, the scripture points us not inward, but Godward. Scripture points to us not inward, but Godward. I love this from Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God, God, God is our refuge and our strength, not me. God is my refuge and my strength, not me. A very present help in what? Time to trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though he's not saying stuff ain't going to happen, because he says, we won't fear, though the earth gives away, the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea. That's a pretty bad earthquake, right? And though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, God is my strength. He is my refuge. He is your refuge, your strength in the midst of trials. This is where the conversation with Pastor Linda was yesterday that really that made me switch this. Um, I felt like God was like, nope, you gotta change up. Trials can, they can have a purpose. They can. And Jesus calls us to actively engage with him in the process of transformation. They can have a purpose, but if you step in to the ways of the world, that purpose is just going to be more mess. You, you, you follow me? God's not at, we're not going to see God's redemptive power working in and through us while we step in the world. Now, he's, he's, he's active. He's still involved. His mercy and his grace is going to fall on you still. But trials can have a purpose. Jesus does the transforming. Thank you. (laughs) Jesus does the transforming, but you and I have a role to play in that process. So this is what James means for you and I to let steadfastness have its full effect. And it's it's like we have to take it's like waging an all out holy war (laughs) against self, against our feudal compulsions for control over our circumstances or against our compulsion to numb ourselves or, or to escape the, whatever in the midst of trials, in the midst of pain. Just cr- constantly, God, help me crucify my flesh. Help me crucify this thing that keeps coming out. Help me crucify this self One of the ways, some of the ways I, I've been learning <laughs> how to let steadfastness have its way uh, in this season, in, in my wife as well, is going back to that bit in Galatians. This is moment by moment surrendering my circumstances to the one who knows every aspect of my circumstances, even the parts that I don't know. Learning to surrender control, which is really not control anyways. Is anybody else here kind of control freaks? Right? I like to be in control. it's just the way it is. Even when I think I am, I'm really not. God's going, okay, I'll let you have that one here for a moment. I am bent toward playing God, and so are you. Being steadfast means that instead of numbing myself with whatever means that might be, I embrace the sorrow. I embrace the pain. I embrace the fear, not owning it, but I take it, and I lay it at the foot of the cross. Jesus, you've already dealt with this, so I'm, I'm, I'm confessing this. I'm laying this before you in trust that you've got this. You've got my pain. And man, you've got to do this over and over and over again. I've got a couple of brothers I meet with and talk on the phone and go hiking with, and it's been like over and over and over again. I realize I'm not a broken record. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing what God's called me to do. Confess to my brothers. Get together with them pray and, so, you know, that's how Jesus has been loving us, through the body of Christ, through this. So we need the gatherings even like this as well. Sometimes it's just on a hike. I meet God on this hike. when i I'm The I'm, first part of this whole process we're going through, I'd go on a hike and it was like a trail of tears for me. But God's used that to bring healing into my life, getting into his word, just to find life there. Sometimes it's kneeling in my office, meeting God face-to-face with all the dust bunnies around. <laughs> my wife loves that part of my office. Um, <laughs> I recently read an autobiography of a non-Christian musician I grew up listening to. It's pretty raw, so I'm not going to recommend it to you guys. But he said something that reminded me of, of, of what steadfastness looks like. And I think there's some wisdom here. And this, again, this guy's not a believer, but he says this. Let your hurt be the source of greatest compassion. So God's going to do something with your hurt. You can become more like Christ through it. Let your hurt be the source of the greatest compassion, the deepest love and understanding. Walk through it. Don't numb or hide. It's like this guy got in my sermon notes. Accept the pain as a blessing. Trust in love, Jesus, and let it change you. Wow. The world is looking for the same thing we got. They just don't know. It's Jesus. So being steadfast means that you and I, in the midst of our trials, over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, we seek God's wisdom. We keep in step with the Spirit. And we do this when, even when we feel like prayers aren't being answered as well. Just rearranging my notes here in my head. You know, I think oh, I want to go there. This is what happens when God changes things. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's through this, it's through the trials that this maturity comes, right? And, and it takes us beyond this intellectual knowledge of the scriptures. Right, I, I know Jesus is real. I know He exists. Well, the demons do too, right? They're not saved. Another part of the Book of James. But getting to the place where we are perfect and complete, lacking in, no, in nothing, meaning Jesus is our absolute everything, and I fully believe in Him. This comes from it's an experiential knowing. You hear me? I picked those words very carefully. We had the conversation yesterday. Experiential knowing. Beyond our intellectual understanding, that is born, that Jesus is is everything, and it's born out of walking, Him walking through with us through these transforming, purifying fires of suffering that burn away these layers of self that so often hinder our relationship with Him. And it's through this suffering with Jesus at our side, folks, that we gain this profound satisfying satisfying who wants to be satisfied in jesus fully satisfied in jesus the satisfying otherworldly knowing that he is our everything psalm 121 one through two where does my help come from my help comes from the lord and why is this important he made heaven and earth i've got the king of glory You've got the king of glory, the creator of everything, including you, walking with you through the mess. Man, and I want to be confident in that statement without wavering. My gosh, how I waver. Anybody else waver? My gosh, I'm prone to wavering. And I'll tell you this, that what I'm preaching you today, can I be honest? Well, I'm already honest with it. But 20% of the time I'm feeling this right now. 25% 25% on a good day. It's hard. It's a battle, but it's okay because we see through Scripture. Look at look at. <laughs> I'm so encouraged by this because at times I feel like I'm being buried in fear and discouragement. And prayers feel like they're not being answered, and I'm often confused by the brokenness around me. Like Lord, well, what's going on with my mother-in-law? We've been praying. I feel helpless to relieve the, the pain of my wife losing her mom, but she hasn't the part of the earth, and she's like. What do I do, Lord? I'm confused. Oh, I'm so encouraged by Paul. Listen to this: Second Corinthians four eight, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed or confused, but not driven to despair. How encouraging is that? That Paul, our brother Paul, felt the same as many of us are feeling right now, and he had face time with Jesus. How much more do we need prayer and intercession, right? It's in the midst of the suffering that we are reminded, folks, we are reminded that we are being held and sustained by the one who suffered on our behalf. Amen? That's who's holding you. man of sorrows, he's been through it in spades. So trials don't bring us necessarily what they want, but by God's grace they can bring us what God knows we need. I don't care for that truth, but that is the truth. And James is not trying to minimize your pain and my pain, but he's trying to maximize our perspective. He's trying to stretch our perspective and give us eternal perspective in the midst of our trials. He's exhorting the church. He's exhorting, challenging you and I, By the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit to remain steadfast in trials. Okay, we got to realize that your steadfastness doesn't come from necessarily you. Yeah, you're involved with it, but it's the Holy Spirit moving in and through you, and you being obedient in the process. Count it all joy, my brothers, let me just wrap up with this, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know, you know, you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let, people, let, step into this and let steadfastness have its way in you so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Folks, listen to this. Suffering trials do not get the last word they don't they don't get the last word jesus has the last word he's given the last word and he's walking with you in the mess and james is calling us to live in light of that reality that we have already amen let me pray here lord gosh lord our 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 help comes from you and you alone, and but in that you move through your people and in your people, and you bring community around us in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our struggles, and and we see you show up in the midst of that. You, Lord, not some weak little token God sitting up on a on on, on, on my countertop, a little statue or a picture, but you.